If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 95 today. Psalm 95, and we are going to take a short little diversion uh, from our normal study that we've been doing out of uh, the the Gospel of Luke. We've been working through it verse by verse for uh, quite some time, and uh, we're going to take a little, little break from that because today is the last time that we will meet together before Thanksgiving, because as, as you heard earlier, Wednesday, we always call off the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, that way you can spend time with your families, can prepare and, and all those things, but this is the last time that we'll meet together, so I do want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and I want us to look for a few minutes at a psalm that calls us to give thanks to God. Now, um, if you found Psalm 95 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read down to the end of the, of the, of the psalm. <clears throat> it says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who err in, in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore my anger. Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now, there are three, th- three main things I want you to see in our text today. The first is a call to worship. A call to worship. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Now, this is, there's a repeated phrase, and I've told you this before, but, but just like if, if I were writing to you and I wanted to emphasize something, I would, to, one of the things I would do to draw your attention maybe to, to underline it, to make it in bold, to, to, to draw attention to it in some way, maybe circle it, highlight it. Of course, they didn't have all those, uh, all those fancy ways of, of doing things. They didn't have highlighters. They couldn't bold things in, in the biblical text. And so what they would do many times if they were wanting to highlight something, to draw your attention to it, is to repeat it. And I want you to look at verses 1 and 2, and I want you to see that there is a phrase that occurs four times in just two verses. It's the phrase, let us. Let us. Now, I've said this before, but, but just to kind of remind you, the book of Psalms was like the Old Testament. It was like the Israelite Baptist hymnal. They, they used it in their worship services. It, 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 the, these things were sung. They, they were uh, repeated. There were, there were things that they would use in their worship services. And so verses 1 and 2, there's this, this repeated phrase, let us, let us, let us. Um, <clears throat> what, what the psalmist is doing, you'll notice the verse 1 says, come. It's like the, the psalmist is opening his arms and saying, come with me, let's gather together, let, let's join together, let's assemble, not just for fellowship, though that's, that's a, a, a good thing to do. I enjoy uh, fellowshipping with you all, it's, it's beneficial to us, it's uplifting. But he doesn't just say, come and let us fellowship. He, he doesn't say, come and let's be a social club. That is not what church is. Church is not a social club. Church is about God. It's not to make an appearance, it's not to put on airs, but people should join collectively, they should assemble together, they should come together and worship the Lord. And you notice that's what verses 1 and 2 are all about. It's to come together 
and worship God. Now, in the American church, a lot of people want to be Lone Ranger Christians. They want to go off and do it on their own. They'll say things like, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't have any use for organized religion. And I just think, well, come on out to New Hope. We're not organized at all. But some people say, I don't have any use for organized religion. Some people say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, they might say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Listen, God has called each and every one of us to set aside aside time each and every week to come together corporately and worship Him. See, it's not about you, and it's not about me. That's not what church is about. It's about Him. I've, I've seen a, a phrase, I don't know if, if it, or an anecdote, I don't know if it actually happened, but about uh, some random person as they were leaving the worship service said to the preacher, I didn't, like the, I, didn't like the, I didn't like the worship service. And he said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. You know, that's, that kind of highlights the fact that we tend to think that the service is about us, but it's not about us. It's not about our likes and dislikes. It's about him. Now some people say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to go on a regular basis to be a Christian, and that's true. But you know what? You don't have to go home after work every night to be married. It sure does help. And, you, and if, if, you, if you think that that, that that doesn't have an effect, you just stay away for a week or two. You don't go home after work and see if that doesn't have an effect on your relationship. Or, or some folks say, well, you know, I'm just so tired on Sunday. I've been doing all this stuff Monday, uh, Monday through Saturday, I'm just so tired. I'll just go whenever I feel like it. Well, I just wonder, you going to use that with your boss on Monday morning? Well, you know, boss, I had kind of a big weekend, feeling kind of tired, don't think I'll be into work today, and tomorrow's not looking too good either. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'll just come whenever I feel like it, boss. What do you think would happen to your job situation? We know that that's not the way things should be. And li- listen, we should come together regularly, corporately, to worship the Lord. So what are we supposed to do when we come together? We'll look at verses 1 and 2. Our worship services should be characterized by jubilant worship. If you notice verse, verse 1, he says, Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Our song service should not sound like a funeral dirge. It should sound like a celebration. It should sound uplifting. We should be excited. We should be happy. We should shout... The, the psalmist goes on to say, we should shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. He is a strong tower. He is, he is there to deliver us. He is a strong place of defense. He protects and he comforts his people. And we should come into his presence, if you look at verse 2, with thanksgiving. Now, when it says come into his presence, the word that's used there means to prevent. To prevent. And the idea here is just imagine... <clears throat> You came to church, and you're wanting to get out as soon as possible after the service is over. And as soon as I say amen, you make a beeline towards the door. But let's just say that I put on my track shoes, I see where you're headed, and I get there first. And I stop you, and I say, hey, it's good to see you today. I'm so glad you've been here and, and, and start talking to you, and I'm blocking your path. I've prevented your escape. I'm in your area. That's the, that's the idea. When we come to God... We should be in his space. We should be right up, right up to him, and we should be worshiping him. We should come with thanksgiving. We should thank him for what he's done. We should thank him for what he's doing and what he will do, what he's in the, what he's in the process of doing. And he goes on to say in verse 2 that we should shout joyfully to him with psalms. 
In other words, our, our praise, whether it's in, in song or some other way, should not be a, a, a timid Mickey Mouse type of worship. It should, it should be full-throated and loud. It says, shout joyfully. It doesn't say whisper. It says, shout. Next thing I want you to see is that he is worthy of worship. Worthy of worship. Look at verses 3 through 7, the first part of verse 7. The psalmist here gives us reasons to worship God. Look at verse 3. For, because, here's the reason. The Lord. Now I want you to notice something in those two words. Number one, the word Lord's in all caps. If you look in your Bible, that is the translator's way of identifying for you. This is, in the original language, here is the proper name of God. This is where it says Yahweh. This is where it says Jehovah. It says Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. He doesn't say a Lord, the Lord. There's only one. The Lord. There's no ambiguity. There's no equivocation. It's not all roads lead to the same place. Uh, all gods are, are equal. All religious claims are the same. No, there is one God. And notice how he is described. He is the Lord. And he is a great king. He is a great God. A great king above all gods. Now the next couple of verses he's going to describe how he's a great God. But before we get to that, I want, I want to say a word about the end of verse 3. Because at the end of verse 3, he says, He is a great king above all gods. Now when it says that he's a king above all gods, he is not saying that the false idols of the nations, of the pagans, he's not saying that, that the gods of the, of, of the peoples of the world are any real thing. He's not giving legitimacy to this idea that there are a whole bunch of, of gods. It's not that God, Jehovah, Yahweh, is, is one amongst a pantheon of gods. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that our God, the one and only true God, is God over all. The land and the sea, which he's going to talk about here in just a minute, but also above everything, both real and imagined. Everything and anything that the nations would set up and ascribe deity to, and they would fall down and worship and say, this is my God. The psalmist says, our God is God over that. He is the one true God. He is, he is the one that we should worship. Said another way, there is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth, both physical and spiritual, both real and imagined, that is above our God. He is a God that reigns over all. Now look at verses 4 and 5. It says, in, in whose hands are the depths of the earth, and the peaks of the mountains are his also. Deeper than any shaft has been sunk, that belongs to God. Higher than the highest heights of the highest mountains, that belongs to God. And you know what? Everything in between belongs to God too. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. The sea and all those within them. All the teeming life that's in the, that's in the waters, that belongs to God. All the swarming life that's on land, that belongs to God. Every person, every, every tree, every plant, it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's. All things have their being, and they belong to God because He is their Maker. John 1.3 says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. It says in another place that, that all things were made by Him and for Him and through Him, and He upholds all things by the word of His power. 
And that's true of no other person and no other thing. God alone is the creator. He alone is independent. We like to think of ourselves as, as a self-made man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a liberated person. I, nobody's going to hold me down. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm, gonna, I'm the, the master of my own destiny. Listen, you can't make yourself one second... You can't make yourself one millimeter taller. You can't make your hair black or white. You can't do anything. You depend on somebody else. You say, well, you know, I don't need anybody or anything. Really? Try not eating for a while and see how long you make it. You're going you're gonna to have to, you've got to have something from somebody else. You've got to have help from outside. But God doesn't need that. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need our glory. He doesn't need our help. He alone is independent. And we should worship Him because of that. He alone has life and being within Himself. We should worship God because He is supremely sovereign. He does whatever He wants. You can't stop Him. You can't thwart His plan. You can't slow Him down. He is utterly unfathomable. He is exceedingly imminent. He is profoundly powerful. He is astonishingly awesome. He is resplendent in glory and inscrutable in His ways. The Bible says, Oh, worship the King. Worship the Lord, all the earth. Because He is a great God. Bow down, the Bible goes on to say, Bow down, verses 6 and 7. Kneel before Him. Prostrate yourself before Him. Come before Him boldly as His child, but not presumptuously. Come to Him as, as your loving Heavenly Father, but also as the King of glory. If you notice verse 7, it says that not only is He a great God, but He's my God. He's our God. He is ours, and we are His. The Bible says that we are the sheep. He's the shepherd. He owns the sheep, and He owns the pasture. And, and it uses it, it kind of inverts things because we would think it'd be the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. But if you notice, it actually inverts those. And and verse seven says that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And, and both of those things say the same thing. God takes care of his people. What does the, what does the psalmist say? The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even if we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, He's with us. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And finally, I want you to see that it closes with a word of warning. Because the first part, verses 1 through the first part of verse 7, the sheep have been speaking, to use the imagery of the psalmist. But then from the last part of verse 7 down to verse 11, the shepherd is speaking. And he knows there's a shift, not only in tone, but also uh, in, in the person who's speaking. Now, God gives a warning that's repeated in the New Testament. And look at what it says in verse 7. It says, Today, if you would hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you've sown your wild oats, not when you come back you know, down the road, not at New Year's, not at some other undefined point in time, today, right now. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is God's day. And notice the word if. 
today if you would hear His voice. God is calling to you whether you hear Him or not. Everywhere you look, you can see testimony that God exists. You can't look at at people, you can't look at creation, you can't look at all that we have around us and not know that there is a God. If you don't see it, if you don't hear it, it's because you're closing your eyes and you're stopping up your ears. If you hear His voice. If the Spirit of God is convicting you. If He is drawing you. If He is... If He is showing you your sin, your need of a Savior, don't harden your heart. Now the heart here doesn't speak about that muscle that's in your chest. It talks about our wills and emotions. And so to harden our hearts against the call of God is to refuse to be obedient to Him. It's to stiffen our neck. It's to throw back our shoulders. It's to rebel against God. Listen, it's never too early to repent and get right with God. It's never too early to get right with God because you never know when it will be too late to get right with God. And there is a day coming when it will be too late. That's why we're called to do it, not tomorrow, but today. Listen, it will never be as easy to repent as it is right now. It will never be as easy again to repent as it is right now. Why? Because if you hear His voice and you do not repent, you've hardened your heart. And if you harden your heart, it's going to be harder to repent the next time. If there is a next time. Now the psalmist concludes with two references out of the Old Testament. We're not going to go back and, and look at them, but this was the this was the uh, you might even say a privileged generation. They were, the, they were the generation that came out of Egypt. They came out of Egyptian bondage. God had done these miracles. Moses, the great lawgiver, had led them. They had been led through the Red Sea. The waters had parted. God had delivered them. He had fed them miraculously in, in, in the desert with manna. He had miraculously provided water for them in the desert. He did all these amazing things, and the people had seen all these amazing things, and yet they refused to be obedient to Him. They had seen all of these tremendous works of God, and yet they hardened their heart. And listen, you can come, and you can sit in a church service, you can, you, you can hear testimony about God working in, in situations, you can read about His miraculous works, you can hear the call of God and refuse and and harden your heart. And what happened to them? They got, they got refused entrance into the promised land. Look at verse 11. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. They hardened their hearts, they disobeyed God, and they did not get to enter into the promised land. Likewise, if you harden your heart, you do not repent of your sin, If you die in that state, you will be refused entrance into heaven. So won't you answer his call today? Repent of your sin. Get right with God. Now those of us who are Christians, listen, we have a lot to be thankful for. We serve a good and a true and a loving and a living God. We don't serve a God of wood and stone. We we don't serve a God that we've made. We serve a God that made us. The, the, the nations of the world, they worship a God that they made, 
We worship a God that made us. And not only us, but all that we see around us. He is creator of heaven and earth, and he is worthy to be praised. Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you to heed the warning of Scripture. This is not a warning that Jeff came up with. This is a warning straight from God Himself. Today, if you would hear His voice, don't harden your heart. I'm not trying to use some scare tactics on you, but I'm trying to tell you the truth. God's Spirit will not strive with man forever. There's a day coming when you and I and everybody else is going to stand before God. And if you turn away and you refuse to repent of your sin, if you stay in your rebellion against God, if you stay doing your own thing, if you put off till tomorrow what you should do today, and you die in that state, He stops drawing you to Himself. You'll be condemned forever in hell. That's a stark reality, but that is what the Bible tells us. And that is what Scripture warns us against. And that's why I plead each and every service, come to God, repent. Christian, maybe, maybe you have responded to that call. But you're hardening your heart. God's calling you to some area of service. He's convicting you of sin. Don't become calloused. Be open, receptive. Confess your sins to God. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are told the truth. And just like going to a doctor's office, we don't know what's wrong until we get the diagnosis. We don't know the treatment we need until we're told. And you tell us the problem, and our problem is our sin. You tell us the solution, that's salvation in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you'd let us not be foolish and turn away from Christ. And God, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that you would let us be sensitive to your spirit. Thank you that we serve a living God, the maker of heaven and earth, who is above all principalities, powers, persons, And thank you that you've condescended to love us. God, I pray that you'd let each of us be obedient in the ways that we need to now. In Jesus' name, amen.